Hey everybody, it's the Executive Director of SportsCon, Lorna Rose, and you're listening to Life After the Crown with Tim Tialdo. Hey everybody, my name is Tim Tialdo, and welcome to Season 2 of the Life After the Crown podcast. Now, if you haven't had a chance to listen to any of the previous episodes, I do encourage you to go back and listen, because there are many valuable interviews that you will definitely gain some wisdom from. Now, for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, welcome and thanks for checking us out. Each episode of Life After the Crown, I interview former pageant contestants, title holders, and women of influence who share advice and stories on how to help you succeed in the world of pageants, but more importantly, how you can flourish in the professional world once your pageant journey comes to an end. As always, I appreciate you taking the time to download this podcast. I do value your time, and I'm glad you're here listening. So let's get started. My guest today is the executive director of SportsCon, the only experience for sports fans to engage and interact directly with their favorite athletes. Born and raised in Rochester, New York, she was inspired by her own childhood experiences to pursue a career in family law. She went on to obtain her Bachelor of Science in Social Work from Syracuse University in 2011, followed by her Juris Doctor from New England Law in Boston in 2018. What kept her motivated during her academic journey was her intense passion for sports. In 2017, she accepted an internship in Dallas with the NFFC, or National Fantasy Football Convention, as a social media coordinator. After graduating from law school the following year, she packed up and relocated to Dallas to continue working with the NFFC as the Director of Media Relations. Her involvement quickly evolved into her current position as Executive Director when the company rebranded this year to SportsCon. She currently resides in Dallas and is a, of course, big, diehard Dallas Cowboys fan, also a Syracuse Orangeman fan, and is a candidate for her master's degree in communications at the Newhouse School at Syracuse University through their online program. Lorna Rose, great to have you on. Welcome to Life After the Crown. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, you've got quite a decorated uh, academic profile there. I'm interested to know, I know you're an alumnus of the pageant world. Uh, You had mentioned, you know, you never had any state titles or anything like that, but you competed in the America system. So for everybody listening, kind of give us your background of how you got into pageants and and really what that world did for you. Sure. So when I was younger, I was a teenager I had entered a you know local pageant here and there in Rochester because it was it was fun it was fun for me I love dressing up it it was truly just recreational and it wasn't until I see I was eighteen it was God I again local title local <laughs> pageant really small I won first runner up and that was the most accomplished I ever walked out of a pageant <laughs> so I said well okay that's like, this is fun. Maybe I'm getting the hang of it. And I, shortly after, I transferred to Syracuse University. And I initially tried out for the cheerleading team. I've been a cheerleader since I was nine years old. So that was what I was hoping to be able to do. But for a number of reasons, that was I couldn't go through with the uh, tryout process. So I started uh, Googling for pageants in Syracuse, in and around Syracuse, just as something to do. And I saw this 
Miss Finger Lakes pageant. It's a, you know, official local preliminary to the Miss America organization. And I'd always heard about Miss America. And of course, you know, you know that name. It's a household name, whether or not you're heavy into pageants. But what had always deterred me from participating was the talent portion. I felt that if you could, if you weren't just a great singer or a dancer or an instrumentalist, then, you know, you don't, like, you're not going to be competitive. But what really uh, stuck out to me and made me change my mind and said, just go for it was uh, the platform aspect of it and how every contestant and participant has to have, you know, an important issue that they are uh, committed to. And at the time, I thought that was perfect for me because I was just starting my social work degree at Syracuse. Um, I wanted to get my degree in social work as a foundation for working with abuse and neglected children, as well as victims of domestic and sexual violence. So I thought that this would be another, you know, a really good launching pad for my advocacy, another medium for, you know, practicing and engaging with my community. And again, pageant, it's fun. So I um, I packed up my car. I drove the almost two hours in the dead of winter down to Corning, New York, and I competed. My talent was I did performing arts all through high school. So I did a, a monologue, a Shakespeare monologue. And when I was uh, announced as the winner, I was shocked. I could not believe it. I felt so out of my element, I felt like everybody around me was so much better at this, and it was fun, and it was a good time, and I probably would have done it again, but I had zero expectation of winning, and um, that was that was my start in the uh, Miss America organization. So as you look back on it now, um, you know, obviously the talent was a little nerve-wracking to, to get into that and do that part, but, you know, as you have now... Uh, ventured into professional life. You've graduated law school. You're an executive in a sports company. I mean, you're doing a lot of things. And and from what I understand, I mean, I know you tell a lot of people that pageants had a lot to do with some of the preparation aspects um, of the, this professional career. Can you talk about what those were that you were able to pull from your pageant experience? Number one, being comfortable speaking to anybody. You work in a male-dominated field. You have to have a commanding presence. Uh, it just it, I hate that it is this way, but it is what it is. And the only way we're going to change it is by, you know, stepping up to the challenges in front of us. So, you know, I, I get very, I find it very empowering. I'm five foot two, um, weigh about 114 pounds. <laughs> so when I, when I am checking in the athletes at the convention and I'm looking up at these six foot three 200 pound guys and saying, hi, I'm Lauren. I'm the executive director. They're like, Oh, okay. Nice to meet you. I love it. God, it's that shock value. It's just nothing. It never gets old. Um, <laughs> and I love when people tell me I've got a very firm handshake because it, it lets me know right off the bat that you, you've already sized me up. You, you've already made your own impression of me before I could even get a chance to say anything. And that, that is, something that women are going to face in every single aspect of life, unfortunately, for now, for the time being. And with competing in pageants, I mean, it's, 
it's very similar. Judges will form their impression of you based on your headshot, based on your paperwork. Uh, if they look at your social media, some judges, you know, they're encouraged to do that. Some aren't. Some just do it. Uh, they're they're going to have their impression of you before you even get a chance to represent yourself. And they say you only get a you know, one chance at a first impression, but I, I say every chance that you get to, you know, in, impress somebody, you have to take it. So that's one thing I learned with patents is knowing when you walk into that interview room, these judges have already got an idea in their head about you, uh, whether or not they, they're trying to be bi- uh, unbiased or neutral. It's human nature. They do. So you just, you have to be, you have to be confident. You have to own what you are. And you have to not be afraid about showing that. And that's, that's probably one of the biggest takeaways that's really served me. And, you know, just posture, carrying yourself well, carrying yourself with confidence, knowing how to put yourself together um, for the right environment, the right styling. Um, it's, it's all things that I took away from my time as a title holder. And now for the past several years, as a mentor, I know we're not supposed to be coaches or use the word coach, but as a mentor uh, for other contestants and title holders. There's no word on here that's uh, off limits, so I, I, I'll say coaches all day long. Totally cool. Oh, totally good with that. Oh, in, the, in that <laughs> case, then, I want to amend something I said earlier about Allie Curtis. She is a total badass. <laughs> that was really what I wanted to say. And she is. She um, totally is. Yes. So I guess, I mean, it really sounds like you almost enjoy the fact that people size you up literally you know you you enjoy that uh, it's like a motivation for you when somebody tries to size you up from a standpoint of stature yes i it i do it's it's very it's very gratifying to be able to see to visibly see their reaction or surprise to learning who i am or to shaking my hand or to hearing me speak um one another thing that seems to really, you know, shock people is I went to law school. I went to Syracuse University. And I'm also now I'm getting my master's online through the Newhouse School at Syracuse. Because when you work in sports and in the media, there's nothing more valuable than a degree from Newhouse. So one person said to me recently, I was in Los Angeles at the big three uh, basketball tournament championship game. And I was talking a little bit about my background and uh, having gone to law school. And he said, I will tell you this. I'll be honest with you. You're a lot smarter than I thought you would be. And I said, what does that mean? He goes, I'm just, I'm just being honest. You're this tiny little thing. You're, you know, you're a girl. You look really young. And come to find out you've got all these degrees and you're running this company and I wasn't expecting that. And, you know, it's, it's just, again, I, it's, a, it's such a cliche phrase. It is what it is, but it's just nice to have reminders. It honestly is nice to have a reminder every now and again that no matter what, the, the first impression will always be based on observation, and, you know, in a situation like that. So I can't, I can't overcome the fact that I look like a girl and I don't want to. I don't want to not look like a woman. I don't care. I, shoot, I want to look as young as I can forever. Um, I, <laughs> I don't want to have to, I don't want to change. I don't need to change those things about myself. Other people need to change how they perceive women and how they prejudge them. And the 
the only way I can, I can, you know, personally and individually encourage that type of change is to be open and to talk to people and, and not be, you know, too put off or closed off or not always be on defense because I could be, and I have been. And that's when you, you know, fall into the stereotype of being, you know, you're, you're a bitch or you're uptight or whatever. It's, you know, it's always one thing. It's always one thing or another that women are, you know, trying to combat as far as stereotypes. But all I can do is just remember like who I am, like, and what, what got me where I am and give that to people and, and let people change their minds on their own. And then, and hopefully, hopefully inspire them to, not be so quick to judge the next woman that they meet because they never know who they're talking to. Now you, you have an intense passion for sports. Um, in my experience in the pageant world, I think a lot of young girls out there, you know, who think being an athlete and a pageant contestant don't always mix. I mean, I can think of a few just in the past year that I've talked to that are, you know, they're, they're concerned that they're just not going to fit in. It's kind of like oil and water, uh, being a former athlete, a cheerleader, um, who also competed in the pageant world. What are your thoughts on, you know, that feeling of being in a pageant when you're an athlete? You you just got to do it for yourself. You just have to do it and see if it's a good fit for you. You could be the opposite of an athlete or a tomboy and still not think pageants are a good fit for you. You could be, it's either, it either it is or it isn't. It either it works for you or it doesn't. So once once you stop talking yourself out of it, that's when you can see if this is something that I will benefit from. Just like I did. I talked myself out of it because I didn't think that my, my talent would ever make me competitive enough. I, I never stopped to consider what I could gain from participating. Even if I didn't place, didn't win anything, never did it again after that one time, you know, so you, you've got to get out of your own way. And for, for athletes that want to, that think, you know, is this or is this not a good fit for them? Yeah, from that standpoint, absolutely. Because, I mean, well, we don't have swimsuit anymore in this America, which is a shame. But <laughs> it's, you know, here's an example. Pro athletes are not overwhelmingly known for their articulation <laughs> and speaking skills. This is true. Okay. So uh, even a lot of college athletes are not necessarily the most comfortable with the media. And if a woman who is an athlete is the type that just focuses on her, her craft and her skills and her techniques and her talents and speaking is not her forte, participating in a pageant might help her break out of that. And it, and it also might help, it also might help an athlete break down her own misconceptions about, about, beauty and, and feminism. And I, I said this when they first started talking about getting rid of swimsuit and I'll say it now until I'm blue in the face. There's nothing wrong with being beautiful. There's nothing wrong with being sexy. In fact, I, I actually think, I actually think that eliminating swimsuit does more harm than good because if the point of it is to say that, you know, the job of Miss America has nothing to do with a swimsuit. Okay, so the job of Miss America also has absolutely nothing to do with talent, but it's still 50% of the score. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, the, the job is what comes after you win the competition. 
swimsuit is just part of a competition. And the reason why I say, sorry to backtrack, getting, the reason why I say I think it's, it's doing more harm than good is when you say, you, you know, a woman should not, be, should, should not be judged worthy for a job or not based on how she looks in a swimsuit, it, and then taking, taking swimsuit away, you are vilifying the woman's body. You are saying that the way a woman looks can be a hindrance to her success at a job. And you're taking away women's opportunity to be confident in how they look and to own the one thing that is completely and purely them, which is their body. And I think the Miss America organization uh, contributed to that by saying that there's something wrong with, with smart, accomplished, talented women also being beautiful and owning that. Well, I think the pressure's mounting on that end. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it'll change anytime soon, but I, I certainly know the pressure is mounting for them to, uh, to bring it back. So um, we'll kind of see what happens with that. But, you know, kind of speaking of what you were just talking about, I know when you had reached out to me, um, you heard the Betty Maxwell interview that I did, and uh, it, it very much connected with you. Um, talk about what was so motivating about that podcast that you wanted to reach out to me. What I really appreciate about Betty is she's been, you know, very firm and unwavering in how she feels. Um, And she's not afraid to speak. And she has never been afraid to speak up about it. And while a lot of people have, you know, given her a little bit of grief for that saying, oh, she's, you know, she's just, she won't stop. She's being so dramatic. Okay, Betty, we know how you feel. But that, like, it, it, men and women alike, uh, but that those attitudes about women speaking up and using their voice are why so many stay quiet, including every single woman that's spoken up through the Me Too movement. And we know, we all know that the Me Too movement has nothing to do with Miss America. The Me Too movement has nothing to do with swimsuit. But if, we're, if anybody's going to try and conflate those two things, let's, let's apply it where it, it actually belongs in that Cara Mund, Betty Maxwell, probably Mia Franklin, um, are, we're all very vocally oppressed. Uh, and that is, that's unacceptable in the community the community that they represent, the community that they're a part of, should not be chastising them for speaking up. Okay, if you think Betty's complained about it way too many times and now she's just being dramatic and wants attention. She's getting it and she's shedding a lot of light on things that people need to be aware of. And she's also just, she's, I, I think even in spite of all that, she's, she's very gracious. You know, she, she's very gracious. She's easy to listen to, of course. She's got that, you know, beautiful singer's voice. And she's she's very she's been very fair in in her criticisms and in her, um, you know, how she's expressed her experience, uh, you know, with this with the transition of ownership and the new ownership and how she feels about the changes that have happened. And I recently and by recently, I mean, last night um, went through a similar experience where I found myself in a position where I had to speak up about something that was, you know, in a work situation that was just very unfair. And I knew that there could be consequences, there could be fallout, but I, if I didn't speak up for myself, nobody was going to. And me speaking up for myself maybe uh, 
started a conversation for other people um, that need to need to be a part of it. So it's it, it's all it's all of it's all of that. Is a lot of Betty's confidence um, really resonates with me and inspires me. And what we have in common is that we are you know former title holders in the Miss America organization. This this organization that is all about empowering women. Uh, to to make change. Well, I'm interested to know more about the, the career path that you're traveling. Now, you graduated law school, as we've talked about, in Boston. You moved to Dallas. Uh, you worked for the Fantasy Football Convention. Now you're doing uh, SportsCon. Um, I'm guessing that the path you're traveling in the sports world um, down the line somehow will marry with your law degree. T- talk about where you're kind of headed. So I decided a little too late in life, you know, that just <laughs> how much I wanted to work in the uh, sports and you know, sports realm and media realm. And when I say a little too late in life, I mean halfway through a four-year part-time law degree program. And one of the biggest shifts or reasons for the shift from family law, which is what I first started out interested in, to working in this industry, my goals, my career goals were always predicated upon overcoming the traumatic experiences that I'd had um, as a child. And I'd always just loved sports. I've always just loved it. So when I realized I could find a place for myself in the sports industry, I could finally, you know, build my life around something that I just genuinely loved, that I didn't always have to explain, how did you get here? By talking about all of the terrible things that had happened to me. And not that I don't still, you know, have a passion for helping, uh, you know, those demographics. In fact, my, my ultimate goal is to one day make so much money that I can do that, that type of law work pro bono. Um, I don't want to make money representing uh, abuse and neglected children and victims of domestic violence and sexual assault. I don't, I don't want to make money doing that. I, I want to make very good money doing something else that I really love. And then I want to help those people. But moreover, I don't have to let my story be narrated by things that were outside of my control when I was a little girl. And that's why I decided to really focus on building my network, uh, building a professional base and foundation in this realm. So two years into my four-year program at New England Law, uh, once I could start taking electives, I took sports law, I took entertainment law, I took copyright, I took contracts drafting, I uh, did an internship for an NFL agent through our business and intellectual property law clinic. Um, I got my certificate in IP law. Um, my last year, I did an independent legal research project on the Ezekiel Elliott case, and it's, um, it's course through two different uh, federal courts. And I just really wanted to focus, negotiating as well, wanted to focus my studies on what would serve me as working in this field. So what I really, the way that I'm going to kind of compound my work experience and my work life is the education that I got, you know, being a law student. I'll eventually, you know, sit for the Texas bar exam. But I'm, I'm not practicing traditional law. I've, I'm not going to be putting on a suit and going to court every day. So uh, it's, that honestly is not the highest priority 
right now. So right now you're the executive director of SportsCon, as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Um, tell everybody exactly what that means and, and kind of what you do every day, because it sounds like it's a really interesting career. The career, uh, the, the, the tough conversation that I had to have last night um, was actually about stepping down from that role. Um, as executive director. So I know I kind of misrepresented myself when I opened the podcast. (laughs) I'm I'm technically the former executive director. Yeah. Well, no, you have to. And I, I'll be honest about why as well, because again, it, it comes back to, you know, a lot of the stuff that Betty touched on in her, in her interview, but being the executive director of SportsCon. So I did, I did a little bit of everything. I spoke with potential sponsors and sold sponsorships uh, to, you know, help fund the company. I designed our internship program. I wrote the application. I sent the application out to every single school in the SEC, the ACC, Big Ten, and Big 12. I got over 100 um, applicants. I I screened them. I interviewed them. I put together a team of 10. I, you know, I've been running our social media. I've been overseeing and supervising other staff people, been helping with production. I mean, you you name it. I think the only thing I did not help with was setting up the pipe and drape for the convention <laughs> sure. itself. Sure. That was, was really it. So I've done everything. And I mean, a typical day for me was getting to getting to our office about nine, 10 o'clock in the morning and not leaving until at least nine, 10 o'clock at night. There were nights where I was there. No, I didn't leave any earlier than two 30 in the morning. I was there until four 30 in the morning some nights because if there was work to be done, it just had to get done and there was nobody else to do it. And the reason why I finally had to speak up was because I do not get paid to work for SportsCon. I have been working for free since 2017. The first two years of the convention, when we were the National Fantasy Football Convention, uh, we had like a parent company uh, that, you know, handled all of the production stuff, but also, you know, put up the most capital for it. Uh, so, you know, my, my boss uh, didn't have quite as much, you know, leeway to pay, like to decide who gets paid for what. And so it, it was a lot, it was a learning experience. It was a risk I chose to take. And then after this year, I just realized I work 70 to 80 hours a week and I made less money than someone who works at McDonald's. This is unfair to me. And I've made myself almost unemployable. I've had a few interviews and People look at me and they're like, why are you, you're an executive director of a company and you're looking for a job? Why? You say, well, that's <laughs> a like, good well, question. It's, a, it's pretty financial. Uh, yeah. And, and it's like, you know, what do you, what do you do? Do you, do you throw your boss under the bus? You can't do that in an interview. Do you openly admit in an interview? Well, I work for free, so I'll take anything at this point. No, you can't do that. And it's been, it's been tough. And so, you know, I went to my boss. We're no longer with that other company since we rebranded. And I said, is there anything that SportsCon can do to start paying me? And he said, no. So I said, okay, well, I, I don't feel right holding this role anymore um, without being compensated for it. And he said he understood. So I, I had to speak up because when you're in a position with so much responsibility and, and you just do what is asked of you and you do what's expected of you without 
demanding fair treatment in return or in exchange, nobody has any reason to treat you fairly. It's unfortunately in business, that's really just not the way it works. So I had to do my own speaking up and advocating for myself. And it was really hard for me because so much of my involvement with that company, uh, you know, set me up for coming down to Dallas and having a really nice network down here. But a network doesn't pay my bills. And potential for company growth, we're a startup, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, that's fine, but it's not my company. So I, I am not the one that needs to suffer the financial hardship of getting a startup off the ground. Sure. Well, good for um, you for speaking up. And certainly, you know, I, I wish you the best of luck with whatever you're moving forward with, because you obviously deserve to be paid well for what, you know, all the work that you do, especially the amount of hours that you work. Thank you. Well, at this point, I want to do some rapid fire, get to know you questions, because we've learned a, a lot about you here, but now it's just time to get fun. So 10 questions, pretty quick, throw some music under it. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Number one, what is your biggest addiction? Iced coffee. Iced coffee. Okay. Number two, do you have a song that reminds you of a relationship? If so, what song is that? Ooh. um, Oh, so many. (laughs) Uh, I would say Walked Out of Heaven by Jagged Edge uh, reminds me of my high school (laughs) ex-boyfriend. Very good. Number three, how many books have you read so far this year? Oh, this year, zero. It's, That's okay. You, it, it takes some time to recover from law school after you're forced to read the amount oh, that I you bet. are. I bet, I bet you're totally burnt. No, that makes total sense. All right, number four, when you dance, who do you think you look like? A baby giraffe. I was just reading my daughter a book the other day called Gerald the Giraffe. That's, that's exactly, that's yep, perfect. Yeah, I look like Gerald. Number five, <laughs> what store do you shop at the most? Express. Number six, if you were famous, what would you be famous for? A sports marketing director. Number seven, what is the worst job that you think you could have? That I think I could have? Oh, PR for the president. True. Number eight, what is your favorite TV show? Everybody Loves Ray. Number nine, what is the thing that you are most afraid of? Something happening to me while I am not at home and my dog's wondering why they never saw mommy again. And number 10, what celebrity annoys you the most? Nicki Minaj. (laughs) Uh, hey, I, I could totally see that one. Very good. All right. Well, that's 10 questions. You're off the hook. Nice job. Oh, the other one, he's, I guess he's, he's probably not as much of a celebrity as Nikki is, but the other answer to that is Grayson Allen. I really hate him. <laughs> oh, he has such a punchable face. <laughs> that's one way to describe it. I like that. Well, uh, I appreciate you sharing all this today. Obviously, you've gotten into some stuff that is very close to your heart and uh, obviously very close to your professional life as well. So thanks for sharing all that um, and some really good information there for people to take away from this. So thanks for the time today. Thank you so much, Tim. I, I really appreciate the platform and, you know, educating everyone out there about how this this pageant world and experience can really, really translate in in ways you never imagined. My pleasure. My pleasure. 
Thanks for listening to today's podcast and to Lorna Rose for her time. Now, if you want to follow Lorna's journey, check out her Instagram and Twitter at Mighty underscore LR. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe. You can do so on Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, Google Play, YouTube, or just go to lifeafterthecrown.com. And for weekly podcast updates, just follow me on Instagram at Tim Tialdo. Until next time, remember the words of Romans 10.9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Talk to you next week. <laughs>